This week on The Futurist, Pablos Holman. I mean, I've worked for multiple billionaires, the richest people on earth. They don't have enough money to save the world. Welcome back to The Futurist. I'm Katie King, and joining me from Thailand is my co-host, Brett King. Hey, Brett. Yeah. Hey. No, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a long way between uh, the States and, and Thailand, but uh, yeah, I'm here. No problem. I'm ready to go. Hey, well, did you know that there is a laser device that actually blasts malaria-carrying mosquitoes out of the sky? Laser sentry mosquito robot killers. That's just what we need. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about it today. This awesome. week, we have a really great guest. Yes, hacker, inventor, and technology futurist, Pablos Holman. Pablos, welcome to the Futurist. It's great to Hi, have you guys. on the show. Hey. <laughs> Hey, and where, are, where are you, Publis? I'm in Brooklyn today. You're in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. All right. But I For some reason, try I to live in a super Europe, position but... and be everywhere okay. at once. Yeah. Yeah, I hate <laughs> you. Fair enough. True, true. I know we met back um, maybe 10 years ago um, yeah. in, in New York. It seems like forever ago. And yeah, it's good to see where you've been up to. So you're with uh, Deep Tech, Deep Future. What is yeah, Deep I run Tech? A, venture firm called deep future okay yes so what is what is deep tech about (laughs) you know deep tech is i think the uh way that we distinguish all the actual technologies from what i call shallow tech which is uh just software and iphone apps and sass holes okay so you're talking about um Tech that is meaningful. Tech that you know, uh, meaningful, and or? I think the, I think the uh, part of the definition of technology should be new. <laughs> um, you know, there's it's the application of like new science and new knowledge and new understanding, and I don't think software as we know it is that new. Um, and so yeah. you know, these things, you know, wheels aren't new, steam engines aren't new, transistors aren't new. So, you know, deep tech is, you know, if you come up with a better version of those things or a way to replace them with something that does the job better. And, um, and you know, I think it's important to recognize that we think we have this big tech industry, but we mostly just have a big software industry. And yeah, no, it's, it's, I think that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah, the old uh, Mark Andreessen quote, software's eating the world. I I just watched uh, Jensen Huang's uh, keynote from the NVIDIA um, uh, uh, event the other week. Yeah, yeah. The the computing layers that they're talking about now, the advances they're making in AI-based, you know, chipsets and stuff, it's it's pretty incredible. Even, Even sort of the way we think about programming language, you know, he was saying now humans are the programming language, right? So pretty, pretty yeah. interesting. I mean, software is eating the world, but the world can't eat software. So mm-hmm. we have to use other kinds of technologies to go solve problems like, you know, like how do you feed people? When you look at what NVIDIA is doing, I think there's a lot of advanced technologies there and they're technologies we could have gotten started on a long time ago, but we sort of got drunk on Moore's law and we just got yeah. used to computers getting faster all the time by making transistors smaller. And so we stopped trying 
to innovate in other ways of making computers better and faster. And so what's kind of cool now is that we've sort of maxed out on Moore's law, the way we traditionally were able to, you know, make computers faster on a schedule. And so everybody's having to scramble and find other things they can do to make them make them better. And there's all kinds of cool stuff, you know, and that's a lot of what NVIDIA is, is showing is the fruits of that. Right. So what are you working on now at Deep Future? Yeah. So what we do is try to find all the uh, inventors, you know, who are the mad scientists and the crazy hackers who've come up with some new technology that we didn't have before that might be able to help us go attack some of the big problems in the world. And there's so much potential in that that's really untapped by the tech industry. So if you think about the big wins that we've had, um, you know, the tech industry is very proud of having disrupted the taxi industry, but the taxi industry is exactly the most, you know, meaningful or relevant industry in the world. We have, you know, what about disrupting? Healthcare would be a good one. Healthcare, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or even food. General Mills, yeah, what about General Mills. Electric or General Motors or Saudi Aramco? Yeah. You know, these are the trillion dollar industries and they're left left largely untouched by technology because you won't disrupt them with just software alone. Yeah. And we keep trying. And if you look at, you know, I mean, in healthcare, I mean, that one's a quagmire, but, you know, there's a lot of attempts to go improve it with software. And yeah, you could make some things better, but you know, where the rubber meets the road is probably not going to just be software. Yeah. So what are the three most top projects that you worked on that you think are just, you know, the most awesome you want to share with the whole world? You can talk about, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man, I've worked on a lot of crazy, you know, projects in my career because I mostly um, just do the new stuff. Um, you know, these days we have startups that are doing all kinds of cool stuff one of them is making cargo ships that are autonomous and they're sailing so they don't need a crew there's no fuel and there's no emissions nice. and you know that one i like it because it's pretty easy to believe that it's going to work i mean it's easier than self-driving teslas yeah and the sailing part we've had working for centuries now Sure. So why do we have this massive industry built around just burning nasty bunker oil to get Happy Meal toys delivered from, you know, China to Port of Los Angeles? Doesn't really have to be that way. And this is an industry that's probably twice the emissions of air travel and we could fix it. We know how to do it. You know, for a lot of these things now we know what to do. We just haven't done it. So um yeah, so we'll do it. Um, there's, so that's one, I think that, uh, there's just nothing not to like about it. Um, we have a company working on putting, so if you have, if you have solar panels, they basically have two big problems, clouds and nighttime. But if you take the solar panels and you put them in space, they get sun 24, seven, 365 days a year. Right, microwave energy. Yeah. And then you beam it down to earth using radio waves. Yeah. And people don't know this is possible. It's not only possible, it's like very practical to do. We know how to do it. Um, the only reason that it doesn't make sense 
is launch cost, uh, the cost of putting yeah. something into orbit. And that launch cost has ironically crashed recently <laughs> and continues to come down. Basically. And so, yeah. yeah, we'll be at a point very soon here where in the next few years where doing solar in space will become irresistibly cost effective and you don't need storage you don't need transmission lines you could beam it to each city anywhere on earth and that's um and we can uh, test it on the moon on the artemis missions maybe could i mean i don't know if we need to but sure yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of uh that project of bill nye the science guy was promoting some some years ago light sail is it something similar like that uh i think light sail is a attempt a to go the other way. Concept. You beam energy to a, a small craft, like literally this big, that you're going to send deep into the, you know, into the solar system. You just, you beam, you send, aim a laser at this thing that's flying out in space forever. And it just uses that, the energy from the photons hitting it to get it, to make it keep going. So it doesn't have to haul any fuel with it which is the problem we have with, you know, rockets and the kinds of uh, propulsion we use now. So, yeah, that's it. That's kind of beaming energy the other way. No, it'd, yeah, be like a, power, it'd be like a satellite with a big solar array and, and you know, massive battery storage. And it would just... No batteries. Well, no, just use capacitors. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just a big dish to beam the energy down, right? And some sort of positioning capability. Yeah, that, that's more or less true. The sun comes in, radio waves come out, you do beam forming and beam steering to aim it at a at an antenna on the ground, and it just sends power, and it works in the middle of the night during a snowstorm. No, I know. I remember when uh, we had, you know, Ramez, Mez okay. uh, on Ramez. Now I'm, I'm sure you know yeah. of him. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Mez on. You know, he's talking about what is it? Is that um, one hour of sun every day is enough to power the planet for a year or some, something <laughs> incredible like that in terms well, there, of there's, Yeah, there's enough energy coming the out of the sun, but yes. we only have the ability to capture the stuff aimed at Earth, yeah, which exactly. is a very small fraction of it. Yeah. Um, and even then, we only capture a very small percentage of that, right? So, yeah. 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 Um, no, that's, exactly. Uh, but that's, that's pretty cool tech, you know, so you yeah. get to work on some pretty interesting stuff. How do yeah, you I only do interesting stuff? <laughs> how, how do you, how do you select projects? I mean, what's your methodology there and, and how are you, you know, sourcing deals? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the best things you can't find them. Um, they're in a basement or a garage. Um, the only people who know anything about it are a couple of nerds. And, um, and so, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that, uh, a lot of them come to me and that's largely just because I've done a lot of the kinds of projects they want to do. And, um, I think that, you know, hopefully people are convinced that I can be helpful. Um, so that's how I find them and I find deals cause they find me. Um, so that's, that's a lot of it. And then I think the, um, you know, the framework is, you know, can this move the needle on a big problem in the world, <laughs> right? Do we get a new force multiplier that can help us solve that problem at a, at a global scale? I only want to take on things that affect everyone on earth. You know, that's, 
energy, water, waste, food, sanitation, construction, even apparel. You know, there's things that every human on earth relies on. And that to me is is where the big wins are and where the opportunity is and where the and where the important stuff to solve is. And so I'm real fixated on those problems and I've been um you know trying to understand them better over time understand them in a way that you know that keeps me from going after these red herrings or these things that that aren't going to solve the problem i think that's that's kind of where i start and then i have this incredible superpower uh called arithmetic which is <laughs> i just do a little bit of math and try to add up you know would this you know, would this help us solve the global problem? Is this something that's going to put a dent in the scale of the problem? Or is this just another one of these things where we're, you know, rearranging furniture on the deck of the Titanic? And so this, this is, you know, I that's mean, that's how I do it. This, this is really interesting from a venture capital perspective, because one of the problems you have with VCs, generally speaking, is they're fairly short term in, in respect to their expectation of returns, right? Um, and the multiples sure. and so forth, right? And But some of these projects you're talking about are 10, 20 year uh, projects before they become really commercially viable in the sense that we would talk about today. Although there are, uh, you know, other imperatives like, you know, the health and well-being of the planet and the survivability of the human race, obviously. You know, Years ago, um, I helped get Blue Origin started. So I was probably like the first, I don't know, maybe probably the third or fourth person there. And that was in 2001. And that's a, you know, people think that this is just a dalliance for billionaires, you know, go flinging their big swinging rockets around the universe. That's not what it's about. Um, you know, Blue Origin, the vision there is how do you, you know, kind of make a plan B for humans? Um, the vision is trillions of humans thriving in space, which sounds insane. But, you know, in the best case scenario, Earth will melt into the sun. So this is not a permanent situation we have going under any circumstances. And so what I learned from that was that, you know, you have to be able to have some people who are thinking on longer time horizons, right? Most people, you know, they just got to pay rent, and get their kids into college or whatever. They can't really devote too much attention to, you know, generations yet to come. But, you know, Blue Origin, um, was is I think of it as kind of a philanthropy. You know, Jeff Bezos probably doesn't need to worry about paying rent. Well, maybe he does, I don't know. But he's able, in a way, to think about, you know, what would it be like to start a project that could take thousands of years? Right. Because even that pro even that would start with one small step. Well, humanity used to be a lot more focused on these sort of longer term you know, things just look at you know some of the cathedrals that were built in Europe over hundreds of years, the Great Wall of China, you know, et cetera. You know, we 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 have been prepared previously to commit to you know very long term projects as as a as a species, but 
capitalism sort of uh, um, put paid to a lot of that more re- in more recent uh, centuries? Or would you argue that there's a comeback of, of that? You know, the, we have multiple kinds of uh, machinery um, in the world. Um, so capitalism is one of them. So I'm a venture capitalist. What does that mean? It means that I, if I'm, if it's, you know, again, I don't think we have a lot of actual venture going on. <laughs> There's no Shackleton in, you know, making the next Zoom <laughs> or Slack or whatever. But, um, but there might be, you could say, in making, you know, solar arrays in space or something. You know, um, what it means is I'm going to go get money from uh, people who have a lot need to invest it i'm going to aim that money at something that i think can um return more that's the basic game so if you're a if you're an investor of some type and you're managing so the sales pitch is is these are um world-changing technologies you got to think on a longer term scale but when you do the returns are going to be massive yeah so you can't attract a lot of capital. I mean, I've worked for multiple billionaires, the, the richest people on earth. They don't have enough money to save the world, right? That's not how it works. You could give everybody some of it and you wouldn't be moving the needle. It doesn't matter. You have to use the capital. You have to attract enough money that you can invest in something that grows, right? And what does that mean? You know, well. If you if you produce energy, right? If you can bring energy from space to Earth in a clean, cheap way and distribute it to people, they have more. Everybody, everything on Earth is made of energy. Like we are all made of stars. <laughs> it's not just song lyrics. Like we're made of, you know, that one star that you can see from here during the day. Right. That's that's the game. So that's not just your solar power. That's your wind. That's your coal, your gas, your uranium. All of it came from the sun and and not to mention photosynthesis. So look that we're we're just energy powered. Like that's just what we are. We are energy. And so um, we made a lot of humans, but we didn't exactly make enough energy to take care of them. So if you look at what is that? look like i mean the average earthling gets about as much energy as one toaster running 24 7 right that's all their heating cooling food transport jet fuel whatever americans get about eight or nine bonus toasters right we literally get almost 10 times as much energy as the average earthling and to get those averages it means three billion people live on less than one toaster right and so this is the the argument that uh various um you know people like bill gates for example make that yes we could uh, improve poverty and homelessness and sanitation and all of those things around the world but we'd all likely have to um, because of the energy demands, we'd all likely, as a as a species, have to accept a slightly lower standard of living than we have today to make sure that everybody consistently around the world 
could have it's not slightly basic lower. access to electricity, <laughs> uh, toilets, uh, clean water, that sort of stuff. It's not slightly lower. It's right. dramatically lower. Okay. And you can see it because billions of people live with a dramatically lower living standard. Yeah. And what I think it means is that we have not correctly set the variable for energy demand. Right? Energy demand is not a few percent higher than it was last year. Energy demand is 10x global energy production. Yeah. Right now. Okay, Pablo, so what we like to do at this point, just before yeah. we take a quick break, is we like to get to know our, uh, our our subjects a little better. So this is what we like to call the lightning round. We've got a few uh, questions to, to ask you just to get to know you a bit better. All right? All right, let's do it. Okay, this is the lightning round. What technology has most changed humanity? Probably Snapchat. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Um, name a futurist, an entrepreneur, or someone that has influenced you in terms of your thinking, and why? You know, I guess one of the ones I remember, you know, in this probably for more, 25 years or something was Stuart Brand. And the reason is because he was good at framing the global scale of problems. Interesting. Yeah. So if you haven't read like Whole Earth Discipline was a book, it's probably 10 or 15 years old, but it's so good at helping you understand the, you know, the way the problems are distributed around this planet across humanity. I think that um, had an effect on me, you know, definitely over the years, I've gotten more and more focused on um, solving problems for the world, not just for, you know, kids in San Francisco who need to have weed yeah. delivered to their dorm room by a drone. On an Although that is a very um, super you know, important pursuit. But other people yeah. have that covered and it's probably <laughs> not going to require my help. What, uh, what vision of the future is most representative of the future that you hope for for humanity? You know, my vision of the future, I don't know, it might be amalgamated. Probably there's, you know, listeners who can tell us what science fiction novel covers this the best. But I think that um, I think of humanity in kind of a going in like um, developmental stages, you know, like a kid growing up, you know, being a toddler is different than being a teenager. And we're at this developmental stage where we managed to get past a lot of the, um, a lot of the superstition and things that held us back because we didn't understand how they work. There's a lot we don't understand still, but we have an incredible toolkit. So we're, we're just cruising through that stuff really fast. We're learning. And AI to... could blow the whole thing wide open if we can figure out how to, uh, to figure out the truth from the noise, right? Well, the, um, it's, it's hard to make a short snippet here, but I think the um, what we now call AI um, has ways to go. But yeah, in the long run, what happens is we can build these computational models that help us make better decisions. Mm. And I'm really excited about that because I think one of the things humans really suck at is making good decisions. Yeah. 
especially in groups. Yes. <laughs> and so, yes. and, and a lot of that is because we don't really have the time or attention or wisdom to understand what the, what the results of our decisions will be. You know, there's like one result we're hoping to get, but then there's like a hundred others that come with it that we're not good at projecting or understanding. What's cool about a computational model, if it's a good, if it's done well, is it can show you these are your possible futures mm -hmm. and let you choose from that which one do you want to go for. Right. And, I sort of you know, choose your own adventure. Right. Well, if you think about, yeah, and like, or like a Google map, you know, Google map shows yeah, yeah. you right, a blue line to where you want to go, but it also shows you, like, all right, well, if you hit traffic or something goes wrong, there's this gray line that gives you some other options and you can pick the one that works the best for you. And that is um, not what we do now, by and mm. large. Yes. It is what is getting increasingly possible. We can basically play SimCity for, for planet Earth and start to choose from our possible futures, which one we want to go for instead of just aiming for some fantasy future that may not be achievable from here. And so okay, that great. that toolkit is advanced now and we are rarely using it but you know it's still people with PhDs who are wielding it but you know over time it becomes accessible and and I think you know we're at this point now where computational modeling advanced computational modeling which is what how I think of it instead of AI which is sort of an overloaded term but those computational models can be built for anything. And so you'll build it for a bagel shop or a coffee shop the same way you'll build it for, you know, IBM or Microsoft. And you'll build it for, you know, we, we used to do it for disease eradication. But, you know, you could do this as a way of helping you make better decisions. And so you could imagine where the way that plays out is, you know, next time, you know, eventually when Congress is going to pass some 800 page bill that no one's read. You could just feed it to the computer and say, hey, what if we if we were just hypothetically going to pass this bill, what might happen? And it'll tell you, here's what the possible futures are if you pass that bill. And so then we can, you know, have competing, you know, competing models or competing AIs that might say, well, I'm better at figuring out the future than you and all that. But we would be having a better conversation, a more informed conversation mm -hmm. about the decisions we make. And I think that to me, that's like the the exciting thing that's going to start to happen. And really, I think that's a, that is a pretty near term thing, meaning, you know, in the next couple decades, we'll start yeah, to do that with we, 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 100%. We will do that with all of our businesses, right? You won't use Excel, you will use a massive computational model that, that is good for your what you're doing. And, you know, governments might take a couple decades more after that. But, you know, I think it really that is an inflection point that no one's talking about, but it really changes the future for for the species. And yeah, Well, that's I'm a good, good point that. to take a break on, Pablo. So let's take a quick okay, break. Cool. You're listening to The Futurists. Um, I am hosting with Katie today, Katie King, and uh, we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Provoke Media is proud to sponsor, produce, and support The Futurist podcast. Provoke.fm is a global podcast network and content creation company with the world's leading fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. And of course, it's spin-off podcasts, Breaking Banks Europe, Breaking Banks Asia Pacific, and the Fintech Five. But we also produce the official Finnovate podcast, Tech on Reg, 
Emerge Everywhere, the podcast of the Financial Health Network and NextGen Banker. For information about all our podcasts, go to provoke.fm or check out Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. Welcome back to The Futurists. Uh, before the break, we had uh, Pablos Holman on um, with Katie and I. We we're talking about um, sort of planning cycles of humanity and some of the limitations that we've sort of developed in more recent years in respect to decision making and how that's sort of going to change. But Pablos, why don't we jump into some of the longer term changes that you see and some of the technologies that are, you know, um, let's first of all say, you know, what what is the problem set that you define? You know, what are the things that you think most urgently need to be addressed technologically speaking? And then, you know, what are the technologies on the horizon that make it look really interesting? Yeah, I think the way I think about it is, I mean, or at least an easy way to think about it is if you just go back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that like, pyramid everybody's seen and if you look at it the things on the bottom are the fundamentals you know uh you know you need some food you need shelter you need you know health you need those things um and then at the top you've got things like um you know friends and family and meeting in your work and snapchat and so what we're ha- what we're doing, I think, a lot of the time is we're just putting the cart before the horse. People are up at the top of that pyramid arguing about how we're going to solve these problems up here, but we're failing because we haven't solved the ones at the bottom. And a good example of that, you know, just sticking with the conversation we've had, you know, when you look at Maslow's hierarchy, any version of it, it doesn't even have energy on the on the diagram it's like so fundamental it's like below the pyramid (laughs) but you know what when you look at what is going on with energy we're not providing enough for most people in the world and when you look at what does the world fight about what are all those wars about they're about access to energy right they're about control of energy because there's not enough for everybody so if you solve well, energy, you could say climate change is about energy, right? Is is we knew fifty years true, ago exactly that right. burning yeah. fossil fuels was not only killing ten million people a year due to air pollution, but we knew the effects it was having on the climate. That's exactly the point, right? If we had built nuclear reactors since the eighties, you never would have heard of climate change. Yeah, right. But we got scared of this technology we didn't understand we conflated nuclear reactors with nuclear bombs we outlawed them into oblivion basically and we made the wrong choice humans made the wrong choice and we're living with the consequences and so now we're trying to run around and kind of clean up this mess but we still don't have enough energy to clean up the mess so if you look at things like carbon capture there's no ideas for carbon capture that don't require energy right? Where are you going to get that energy? Oh, we're going to burn coal to go capture the carbon. If you want to sequester carbon, just leave the coal in the ground. That is literally the cheapest carbon sequestration scheme you will ever find. But instead, we're, we're burning the coal to go capture more carbon. It doesn't make sense. And there's a bunch of layers of indirection in the middle. But, you know, these are the kinds of problems that I see a lot. We're putting the cart before the horse. 
So that's why I say use Maslow's hierarchy. Start at the bottom. Say, okay, how how are we going to, for everything on that list, how are we going to 10x our ability to do that? How do we provide energy? How do we provide food 10x? How do we raise the sanitation in, in the world in all the places that don't have it the way we do? It's 10x better. You know, how do we do those things so that we reduce the infectious disease, 10x that. You know, you have to work from the bottom up is how I think about about it. And we just got a little ahead of ourselves. And, you know, being Americans and and being comparatively rich, you know, we're rich because of that energy. We have access to energy. We get nine or 10 times as much energy as most people on earth. Right. That's why we're rich. It's not because we're so smart and special in other ways. It's because we got the best piece of land with the most access to energy. And we've been milking that. So, look, I don't I'm not complaining. I just think the job isn't done. Now we need to use that. You know, use the everything that's been invested in us. And it started with energy, but it ended with universities and then beyond with you know technologies and the things that we've been able to do here. But the job's not done. Now the job is how do you solve a problem that you don't have, a problem at a global scale, right? That a billion people have. So so I mean that's, it that's would, what I think about. Yeah. It would appear that a lot of these problems, yeah, there are technical solutions, but um when it comes to um you know, addressing energy concerns, for example, we really need some sort of consensus mechanism to get people on the right page. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have these corporations exploiting these differences in policy and 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 uh, laws and so forth to to continue the gravy train, right? We we know that much about um, the markets and the way they work. So, how do you get consensus on some of these big picture ideas? So that you can really affect global change. You're out of my jurisdiction. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, there's two kinds of problems in the world. The technical problems, and I work on those, and then the problems okay. between people and groups of people making dumb decisions. That's Someone else my, does. My yeah, right. So, so well, let's dive <laughs> into the technology then. So what are the, what are the emerging technologies that you're yeah. really, um, yeah. you know, you, you find are really sure. promising? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I see it. I see my job being to add tools to the arsenal for future humans who will be better at making decisions than us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so, you know, yeah, we don't have to just talk about energy. There's a lot. You know, we have, um, you know, here's another example. I mean, it kind of maps to energy. But when you look at something like uh, recycling, people are out there trying to recycle the cheapest crap on earth, plastic bottles and cardboard. We don't even recycle the most expensive stuff on earth, which is like, you know, gold and platinum and metals that are infinitely recyclable. Um, So we have a company that invented a non-toxic chemical process that can separate those metals from electronics. Every year, $20 billion worth of gold goes into electronics and then ends up in a gold mine we call a landfill. And there's, I've always know, said landfill mining is going to be a massive business one day. It will be. That's exactly right. And it'll start with those metals because, um, you know, now we know how to get them in a non-toxic way that scales. So, you know, and I think you start there and work your way down. If you want to recycle plastic bottles, you need to know that you can do it without 
burning coal and gas to do it. And right now we can't do that. You know, we're burning nasty bunker oil to ship that crap all over the planet. And so I think it's another example of like, are we putting the cart before the horse? We've been recycling in the US for 40 or 50 years and it's mostly not working, right? And so again, we uh, I think a lot of, you know, going back to your previous question, I was being flippant, but you know, that building consensus thing that comes from the stories that we tell ourselves, you know, humans are story powered creatures. And we've been telling ourselves a lot of stories that we fantasize that sound good, but aren't really backed by the arithmetic. And that's why, you know, try to focus people on that. Say, look, just do a little bit of math, not hard math. Don't have to take calculus. Just do the math you can do on a napkin and figure out, all right, if I'm separating my plastic from my cans, from my bottles, from my trash and my compost and sticking it all out on different bins on the curb, and then a truck comes by and picks them all up and throws them all in the back of the same truck, and then it disappears, and I feel like I've done my part, but where does it go? You know, and where and and what is that truck running on? Is it burning gas to get your plastic to the recycling facility? Probably. Is it going to happen in your town or is it going to go on a barge across the ocean to Vietnam right. where they're going to pretend to recycle it? No, it, I mean, there's it's a scam. So, look, I'm, I mean, not to disparage anybody working on recycling, we should try and we should try to come up with better ways of making these things work. But it could take a long time. And and I think that you won't succeed. Uh, that's another one where, you know, you won't succeed if you don't solve energy first. and so. Let's find a way to solve energy. Um, and that's just, again, I'm, I mean, I just tie it all back so that people can see how the think, thought process is fundamental. Energy is not the only problem. It's just the most fundamental one. And so you start from there. And you could go up the, up Maslow's hierarchy from there. You know? Right. I mean, I remember uh, one of your talks that I watched, you were talking about uh, nuclear waste and how we could use that to power people yeah. uh, for quite some time. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I worked at a lab called Intellectual Ventures Lab, and we had invented this nuclear reactor called the TerraPower Reactor, and it's powered by nuclear waste. And we invented that machine in um, probably 2007, <laughs> and we still don't have a reactor, right? It's not because we don't know how to build it. It's the most modern reactor ever designed. I mean, it was designed with giant supercomputers. We could do that computational modeling I described to help us figure out how to make a modern, safe reactor that can't melt down. It's powered by the by the uranium left over from making bombs when we have a lot of that. <laughs> it's a more efficient mm-hmm. reactor. Um, and so, and you don't need an enrichment plant to do it because it enriches its own fuel and then burns it. Okay. So it's this modern, it's this miraculous new reactor design, and we're not allowed to build it. Bill Gates is chairman of the company, and we haven't been able in 15 years to fi- figure out how to get it approved by the U.S. government to build it. And so. You know, that's the situation we're in. And that's, a, again, like I described before, you know, that's a uh, relic of having gotten the wrong story in our head. You know, we outlawed these reactors. 
You know, I don't know if you know this. I heard this recently, but JFK ran for president on a platform of building a thousand nuclear reactors. That's interesting. That was his number one issue. Not his number one issue. It was the Democratic Party's number one issue. Build a thousand nuclear reactors. That was what could have happened. That's the that's the alternate future we are not living in because of poor human decision making. Oh yeah. Mm. So many different timelines. I mean, going back to what we spoke about earlier, is that it would be great to have some type of an AI that could help give people a vision of these different uh different pathways, yeah. different timelines. So we could choose the highest timelines and be able to see it what what that alternate future could be like if we do choose that. It's, uh, yeah, what I want pretty... is like Sim City with new technologies. Everybody can just be playing on their PlayStation, but we drop in nuclear reactors, we drop in space solar, we drop in fusion, we drop in you know recycling gold, we drop in ships that sail themselves. We drop these things in, and people can see what which of these technologies they that you know work. What the effect is? Do they want to believe in it? That's what we should make. That'd be cool. <laughs> that would be cool. I mean, hey, we got the metaverse, right? I mean, we should be able to to get people we'll involved see, in that space. You know, we've seen science see fiction depictions of this type of, um, you know, modeling. You know, from of course, um, sure. What's the Spielberg movie with Tom Cruise in it? Oh, oh it's where? called um, Schindler's List. That was awesome. No, no, no not Schindler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, um, I just had a brain fart. It is. It is. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what movie you're talking um, about. No, no, the one Minority Report. Minority Report. Exactly. Thank right. you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's um, a lot. I mean, look. That, like you've got I think that, that, which had but the precondition. Let's, let's you've pick got this apart. AI the problem. Right. Like. These are. These are. Look. This is actually a very important point. So, I mean, I know I'm not here to just antagonize everyone, but we celebrate Spielberg. We celebrate the storytellers. We celebrate Tom Cruise. We celebrate Hollywood for their genius ability to tell a story and move our hearts and minds, right? And what are they doing? So much for their treatment of women. <laughs> They're being lazy and irresponsible, yeah. right? They're not telling us a story about a positive, practical vision of the future, how the future could be awesome. No, every single time, they take technology, they turn it into the boogeyman, they use it as a way to tell a scary, dystopian, horrible story that's a cautionary tale about how everything could go wrong. I'm sick and tired of it. I think we should boycott dystopia. We've had enough of that oh. for several lifetimes. If you are truly creative, if you are a storyteller, if you are somebody who thinks that they have some, some, something to bring to the world, use it to tell us a story that's positive. Tell us a story about how things could go better than they are now. You know, that's harder. That's what creativity's for. We don't need you to tell, you know, you know, but AI impossible could that. Well, I don't know. I mean, look, there might be different ways to get there, but the point is we are letting ourselves down by uh, by, you know, we've we've made storytelling into a into a kind of cookie cutter business. And we've gotten really good at that, but it's kept us from truly being creative and, and using our brains to tell a story about how things can go better. And you know what? The dystopians are always wrong, right? 
I mean, in the long run, humans end up there's no time, there's no point, there's no time where we ever like invent well, a technology. Know, maybe the dystopian climate change people like Kim Stanley Robinson and others were, you know, even um, Carl Sagan, you know, when he talked about this stuff. Some of the stuff they said back a few decades ago is pretty prescient now, but um, on, a de- on a scale of decades, it's, you can do that, but on a scale yeah. of centuries, you can't. Yes. Yeah. Right. So if you look at what's happened, Right. There, every time humans invent a technology and then develop it and make and prove that it works and is cost effective and is good, what happens is we assassinate those people because it's new. Right. Like whoever invented the wheel was probably like, check this out. And everybody's like, fuck those wheel guys and kill them off for like a couple of generations. And then the kids are like, fuck you, dad. Wheels are cool. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you know, it's it's it changes the world. And that's what ha- is happening right now with nuclear reactors. You know, we grew up with Chernobyl. My kid doesn't know what Chernobyl is. She's going to be the like thorium oh. reactors, tokamak. We've got fusion reactors coming along. You know, there's a lot of changes there. Um, I want to ask you, I want to take you back to um, um, one of the areas you spoke of earlier. You talked about this vision of humanity expanding through you know, the solar system and then the galaxy and, and so forth, you know, with, with these incredible technologies. Trillions of humans, you said. But the reality is right now that we are, um, contrary to the projections in the 1970s and earlier, you know, we're, we're actually going to peak out at, what, 10.8 billion people or something like that. And the danger is now that most modern economies are shrinking in terms of their population. China is shrinking now. Um, you know, so what, what gets us back to a, a point where humanity is growing like that and that wants to expand rather than just sort of retreating back to, you know, a minimum viable population? I don't, um, I mean, look, we're going to, I'll make some stuff up here, but you know, I, I try to focus on what's, you know, um, on the next few decades, I don't try to figure out how things might play out over thousands. This is something that Elon Musk has talked about though, as an example, right? His, his concern. Yeah. uh, I mean, look, population, population, I mean, we understand some of these dynamics, but they do change right now. We're at this point where, you know, the dominant force has been, we, you know, we made a lot, we got good at making humans. We made a lot of them. The most efficient way to farm humans is in cities, right? So humans had to urbanize. So we started moving people to cities so that they could, so that we could basically afford to raise them. When you're in a city, you get better economic opportunity, you get better educational opportunity, but your lifestyle becomes more expensive and your, um, your kids flip from being an asset to being a liability. They're no longer helping on the farm. They're not work. They're not labor. We don't actually need them. We actually made more people than we need. And so, um, so it's a reversion to the mean, you know, and I think that there's plenty of ways that that could change in the future. It's not that, you know, I mean, certain classes of people are very, 
find a great deal of fulfillment in raising kids, even though they're not using them as labor. (laughs) So, you know, people could want to do that, but if my kids generally in a modern American city and you raise a kid, I mean, you know, you could have a Lamborghini or you could have a kid and, you know, that's a very expensive choice to make. Um, So I think, I think that that, is a side that, effect that's of, another one of those mistakes we're making, right? You know, is it a mistake? Things over. I mean, we what? don't necessarily need more people. What we need is the people we have to to thrive. That's what I think. Right. We already made these people. We should take responsibility for taking care of them and providing for them. And if we do a good job of that, you could imagine a future where more people could thrive. I said, I didn't say trillions of humans surviving in space. I said trillions of humans thriving in space. That means we've provided for them. Right. And if you do a good job of providing for those people, then it wouldn't be so costly to make more. And so, you know, and so I think there's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a number of factors here. And I don't think we know what the, I mean, we know what the future for, humans probably is over the next 50 years, but we don't know what it's like for over the next thousand years. Because in 50 years, we will solve energy, right? And we will solve, and by, and by solving energy, we will solve for a lot of the other basic needs on the bottom we'll half of Maslow's hierarchy. Yep. Well, I don't know if, if mean, but you might cure inadvertent death. Right. Right? I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's not clear to me that people should, live forever but yeah the things that kill you are mostly technical problems that can yeah, be like malaria <laughs> well yeah. malaria is yeah, a great example simple. we solved malaria in the u.s <laughs> right and we solved yeah. it by spraying chemicals that kill everything unless you so live you in Florida, apparently because mosquitoes right are making a comeback there so malaria has hit the mosquitoes are there and they're carrying other diseases too but the um you know, the the problem is we didn't finish the job and we didn't finish the job because we didn't have a technology that scaled to solve it at a global scale, right? We can't just spray DDT to kill everything in Africa. It's too big. And so we have to invent new ways of going after that disease. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a million lives a year still being lost to malaria. Americans don't worry about it. A lot of things Americans don't worry about. That's why we're busy worrying about, you know, whether our Twitter accounts have blue check marks and important shit. You know, <laughs> the rest of the world doesn't worry about that. They're just trying to not die of malaria. So, look, I think there's a, um, you know, there's a, it is a beautiful future. We will eradicate malaria. So you are optimistic. You are optimistic. Well, I, look, I'm, I'm. Here's what I think. You know. Um, <laughs> It's, I feel uh, very, maybe I should have had lunch before we did this recording. <laughs> I feel pretty antagonistic here. I'm, I'm, I'm not just angry. I'm just, I just, I'm not at all. I just, I, I, what I believe in is that it is absolutely possible for the future to be better. For almost every problem in the world, we know how to solve it. That was not true 100 years ago. For almost every technical problem, we understand it well enough. We have the technology that could solve it. Most of it could be cost effective. We just aren't busy doing it. So I, I believe it is all possible. I think I'm a possibilist, not an optimist. 
optimist sounds too Pollyannish. Yeah, we might up for another 50 years the way we did with nuclear reactors. That's probably what's going to happen in some jurisdictions with AI. You know, people are now trying to outlaw something they don't understand. Right. And they're probably going to make some very poor decisions. They're going to have very negative consequences. I mean, look at psychedelics. That's another one. We outlawed it before we understood it. It's turned out to be the only thing we know of that can help people with these traumatic experiences that that really screwed them up. Not just war vets, but increasingly all kinds of other people with traumatic experiences. And we have this almost miraculous technology that can help them with these psychedelic drugs. But we outlawed it at a time when we didn't understand it. We vilified anybody who even tried to research it. And we did the wrong thing. We threw generations under the bus by doing that. It was the wrong choice. And we need to be honest about that and recognize that we suck at regulating things we don't understand. And we need to stop doing that and, and learn about them and figure out what's good and where the, and, and, you know, that's, that's just part of the natural progression of adopting a new technology. You have to learn about it. You have to have experience with it. You have to understand it and you have to figure out how much is too much and how much is too little, how much turns us into alcoholics and how much just makes us a little better at hanging out with other assholes. You know, there's a, (laughs) there's a, you know, there's a, you know, you have to build up an immunity sometimes, you know, and like we're at social media, we're still in junior high with that, where we're all, you know, just, screwing around being dickheads but over time we will learn how much is too much how much is too little how much makes my life better and how much makes it worse and you know we're at the, that's just a developmental phase that we're at and, and we have to go through that sometimes anyway look i'm preaching but you know you I'm, hopefully people we need more preaching dude. out of that we need of that. more preaching brother. other people <laughs> yeah. can advocate for all the dystopian I'm here to tell you, like, we can make it awesome. <laughs> so let's make it awesome. <laughs> Pablos, where can we find out more about you, what you do, and how can we support you? Um, well, you can support me by finding anybody with crazy hair and a DeLorean and just send them my way. Um, <laughs> I like to try to be helpful, especially if these are, you know, force multipliers on the big problems like we talked about. Um, see if we can get these things off the ground. I want to do a lot of them. Um, you know, there's a bunch of TED Talks online, different things people can watch to get more preaching from me if that's what you think you need in your life. Um, and then, you know, I have a podcast also called Deep Future, which is, um, you know, mostly me just hanging out, uh, picking the brains of the smartest people I can find. And if you're interested in coming along for that conversation, you can do that. And um, after the first of the year that there should be a lot more uh episodes of that coming out so yeah great Great. well thank you so much for coming on the futurist it's been a great time chatting with you and here's to creating a more uh techno optimist future one that we could actually leverage technology and innovation and you guys it's so exciting (laughs) there's the future will be awesome and there's so much that we're able to do better now and we just got to get off our butts and do it after the next season of Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great. That was nice to meet you. Nice to get to know Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad it worked out. No problem. Well, that's it for the futurist this week. Thanks Katie for, uh, 
stepping up and um, pulling this episode together. And Pablos, thanks for joining us. If you liked what you heard, uh, make sure you tweet it out, Snapchat it, um, or X <laughs> it out. What is it now? You can't tweet it out. It's zeting. You right? got to yeet, yeet it out. Yeet it. Yeet it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeet it out across the room. Um, you know, post it somewhere. Give us a five star rating. Leave some comments. All of those things help people find it. And uh, um, podcast is going gangbusters, so your support means a lot there. Thanks for listening today, but uh, we will be back next week with more on The Futurist. Until then, we'll see you... In the the future. (laughs) Well, that's it for The Futurists this week. If you like the show, we sure hope you did. Please subscribe and share it with the people in your community. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review that really helps other people find the show. And you can ping us anytime on Instagram and Twitter at at Futurist Podcast for the folks that you'd like to see on the show or the questions that you'd like us to ask. Thanks for joining. And as always, we'll see you in the future.